That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he told them, or he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and in his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, We have seen the Lord, but he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands and put my fingers into them and place my hand into the wound in his side. Now, eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. <clears throat> Don't be faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. <coughs> Pardon me. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, you will have life by the power of His name. This is the Word of God for the people of God Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock, our redeemer. Amen. And please be seated. This verse, this section of verses in the Gospel of John, so rich in possibilities. Trying to think of a way to express how rich in possibilities it is, and I was thinking, do you remember your first time at that wonderful place called a buffet restaurant? Now, some of you are like, well, there's always been buffet restaurants. No, there hasn't. They've not always had steak on them either, trust me. I remember whenever buffets were the new thing. And mom and dad took me to a buffet restaurant. I think it was called Duffy's. Does anybody remember Duffy's? I know Duffy does. Anybody else remember Duffy's? And we went in there and I was just a little kid. But I remember looking and went, all of this, all of this, and I could eat however much I want, okay? Now my first thought then was, where do I start? Challenge accepted. Where do I start? Where do I dig in first? And back then, I could eat milk and cheese and everything, so it was a blessed day. 
This is kind of like a buffet that John has put out before us in just these few verses. Less than a chapter. There's a wealth of possible topics. There's at least five, six, seven sermons in this. I'll try just to do one. But let me give you these other little possibilities real quick. Maybe you'll go home and get your study Bible and trace some of these down. For instance, the disciples were hiding and fearful at the beginning of this reading. Totally the opposite from what happens when they're filled with the Spirit at Pentecost. So that's worth noting. Jesus appears. Now, is he a ghost? He just appears. No. He says, look at my wounds. You can touch me. In other accounts, he even eats. So he's not a spirit. So this is something different. But he's not just regular, normal person because he suddenly appears. What does this mean to be post-resurrection a part of the new creation? We kind of want to look into that sometimes. What does it mean that it says he retained his wounds? Now, we tend to think of that as his scars, but you notice it said he showed them the wounds. It doesn't say scars. What does that mean? Isn't it neat that Jesus says, peace be with you? We might not get this, but that was to them kind of like saying, hey, how your mom and them is in the South. That was a standard greeting But this very standard greeting was given great significance because his purpose on earth was to bring peace and reconciliation with humanity and God and with humanity one with another. That mysterious verse, anyone who sins you forgive or forgiven, anyone who sins you retain or retain. What does that mean? Is that a license for that Roman Catholic practice of penance or of excommunication? Or is that about the ministry of declaring forgiveness through faith in Christ as the Greek behind that kind of suggests it is? Thomas. Was Thomas stubborn? Was he hurting? We just had the march for science all over. So was he just like the first scientist? I will not believe until I have empirical evidence to prove it. What? And did you notice that Thomas's confession was light years beyond Peter's confession? Peter just said, I believe you are the Messiah. Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Finally taking the mask off for the reader to see that yes, he is The Word. He is God. So all of that is in there, but today I want to narrow it down to these. And this is it's good that there are so many sermons in here because this section comes around after every Easter in the lectionary. I'd like to narrow it down to these today. Where Jesus said, well, first where Jesus breathed on them, and then said, receive the Holy Spirit. A little later then Jesus told them, you believe, or told Thomas, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. And then later in the little postscript that John, of the writers helping him, put in that said, these are written, these miracles, these signs, all of these accounts, so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in Him, 
you will have life by the power of his name. So today, if we could focus on this link between believing in Jesus and receiving new life and the Spirit. And I want to start with an uh, unusual way. I have a problem with Indiana Jones. I do. I had a problem with him when I was a kid and saw Raiders of the Lost Ark. You know what my problem was? If you basically watch, I know he closed his eyes, but if you're there and the Ark of the Covenant destroys a whole regiment of Nazis, aren't you going to bring God into the picture at some point? I still remember, was it Marcus saying, the, uh, <clears throat> hold on, my movie recall can be trippy sometimes. Okay. <clears throat> the ark is an object of incredible power and it must be studied. An object of incredible power that must be studied? Maybe you, you do to close your eyes. How about saying, thank you, <laughs> at least once. Also, I have a problem with this scene, too. This is from the third movie, which some have told me is the last true Indiana Jones movie, but we won't get into that now. The Last Crusade, where he has these tests to try to find the Holy Grail, the cup supposedly that caught the blood of Christ at the light. Anyway, his dad's book, where he traced all of the clues, only by the leap from the lion's mouth will he prove his worth. And he comes up and hears this chasm and, oh man, it's a leap of faith. So you see him, okay, I'm going to sort of screw up my faith here. Puts his foot out and steps and he's caught and it turns out it was an optical illusion. That leap of faith also kind of bothers me. If he was going to have a leap of faith, he should have had it at the end of the first movie. And this, uh, how long did that faith last? Long enough to get him across the uh, trap? I don't know. But I do know this, that the problem with the leap of faith is that in our culture, we often define that by what we're assuming is leaped over. And what we usually assume is leaped over is evidence or lack thereof. Oh, it's just a leap of faith. That means at some point you're supposed to shut down your brain and just go with your gut. But that's not been my experience. It's probably not been yours as well. And I know that it wasn't Thomas's experience. Why? Because all of these people whom he trusted and counted his brothers and sisters in Christ were saying, he was here, we saw him. He knew these people were trustworthy, but he's saying, no, 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 no. I'm not going to believe it until I see it. That says more than a head problem is going on. That says a heart problem is going on. In my experience, maybe in yours, what is left over in that leap of faith is more about the struggle in our hearts our insecurities, our fears of being burned, our fear of being vulnerable and trusting more than the struggle that's in our heads. And 
You look at Thomas, he's saying, no, I won't believe it until I see the evidence. But if you read it and imagine that you are Thomas, I think you will quickly come to the conclusion he was afraid to believe because he was so disappointed and he had been so hurt. That is where we really have our struggles. You talk to someone who says, I'm done with the church, that's not usually because they found a bunch of logical inconsistencies. That's because they've been burned. And they've attributed that to the people called Christians. You see that idea of belief. It's kind of like the word love. We can be saying, when we say we love something or someone, we can say a whole lot or a whole little. We have a little shorthand sign. I mean, saying, I love you, that's the sign. But if you're going to just want to do a really quick way to do it, uh, I-L. And you put the two together, and that's not some bad sign or anything. That's the shorthand for I love you. Say, I love you, Kimmy, and she'll go and run on and do what she's doing, probably get into trouble, but yeah. Uh Uh-huh. But, you know, well, Kimmy, do you love your new trampoline? Oh, yeah, I love my new trampoline. Hey, Kim. Kimmy. Yes. Okay, yeah. I love you too, honey. (laughs) If I say I love... Okay, let's put it like this. Pace, I'm going to pick on you because you're you. And I love you, man. Um... If you say, I love Duffy's, and I love Duffy, and it really turns out I'm picking on Duffy, isn't it? I'm sorry, sis. That could be two different things. Either you love buffet food, or you love your wife, who may sometimes fix you buffet food. Those are two different loves. Well, saying, you know, I believe can be that kind of thing. Well, what do you think the weather's going to be like? Well, I believe it's going to rain. I've Check my, uh, let's see. Yeah, there's some rain in the area. I believe it might rain some more today. How about this one? Mom, I believe, I know, and I believe that this plane is safe. That's how you try to keep your hand from being crushed on a flight to Israel. Didn't help that much. God bless her and that minister. We, we got in late to the airplane on our way back. She had to sit by this other minister and I was like, oh Lord, help my mother be with this minister who's about to have his hand crushed. And thank you. <laughs> I love you, Bob, but you're like, the whole way over. She was assuming if I go to Israel, if the plane, then I'm still going to heavenly Israel, so it's okay. But yeah, I believe this plane is safe even when I'm hitting the turbulence. I believe it's going to rain. I believe this plane is safe. Those are different types of beliefs. But how about this? I believe in my wife. And now Lori's, uh uh-oh, attention's on me. As in... I believe in my wife. No, that was not my wife throwing dollar bills at the Chippendale dancers. I believe my wife is not that kind of person. 
There's an actual story about that involving uh, Paula Dean and some firemen doing a catalog shoot and her mom, te- stepmom teasing her about it, but you know that's neither here nor there. She did say, Michael, honey, there were some women twice my age in that crowd making complete and utter fools out of themselves. Yeah. I'll go ahead and say it. And then her stepmom came out and said, don't you believe her? Her new nickname is Dollar Bill. No, she... (laughs) Y'all know better than that, right? Okay. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, that's funny, but how about this? And I could actually think of some circumstances where this would happen. One which... Um, it could have happened a few years ago when someone we knew was in trouble. What if I came home and my wife said, Honey, I need you to do this for me. Take the kids, take your mom. I need you all to leave the house for 30 minutes. I can't tell you why I can't answer any questions. Just trust me, you've got to do this now. Now, I'd ask one question, okay? Are you in any danger in this? That's the question I would ask. And if she said no, I'll be, can we talk later? Yes, that's two questions. I asked for none. Okay, I'll go. Because I believe in her. And I know that if she asked that, there was a reason, and there was a reason that was a benefit to someone who was not willing to come over if we were all there. Maybe a friend, maybe a relative who had just been greatly hurt by someone in her life and didn't want anyone to know. That kind of belief is the kind that we are talking about, or should be when we say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in Christ. It's that kind of belief that might start with a realization of something that you never realized, you never knew. Just like Jesus, He really was the Son of God. And moves quickly from that realization to a moment of trust. And maybe, well, I've got to make a decision. But then over time, that belief permeates to the very center of who you are. And then spreads out to fill every corner of your life. And the way Thomas put that in shorthand was, my Lord and my God. Now there is a hidden implication in this set of verses that we might not have noticed before. And it ties directly into this point of what real belief in Christ means for us. You might have noticed that in Genesis 1.1 it says, in the beginning God created the heavens, and the earth. And that at the beginning of the Gospel of John, John says, in the beginning was the Word. And he goes on in verse 3, God created everything through Him, and nothing was created except through Him. Speaking of the Word, which is Jesus. So John is setting up in, in this very beginning of his Gospel a parallel to creation itself. 
But notice this. In the creation story where God has created the universe, has created the world, and comes down to where he is creating humanity, us. Remember in Genesis 2, 7, Then the Lord God formed the man from the dust of the ground. He breathed the breath of life into the man's nostrils, and the man became a living person. It also could be translated a living soul. And remember that both in the Hebrew and the Greek, that word for breath and wind is also that word for spirit. So at the beginning, John starts with in the beginning, and then at the very end, almost, not counting the epilogue, but at the end of his gospel, he has Jesus, who has been proclaimed to be God, just a few verses later, breathing on the disciples. Here is Jesus breathing on them and saying, receive the Holy Spirit, receive the Holy Breath, receive the Holy Wind, receive the Holy Life. There is a parallel that John has drawn between those first two chapters of Genesis and his whole gospel. And I really think it is this. You have heard about how God created the heavens and the earth. In this book that I am writing, I'm telling you how God has started creating the new creation and it begins with us. See, as a disciple, we are not just called to a set of rules or a certain standard of behavior. Those things could be important, but we are called to willingly participate in our own transformation, our own recreation, if you will. And that has a huge impact and can lead you to be the kind of person with a strength you never thought you would have. And can I give you an example from this previous two weeks. Did you hear um, on Palm Sunday there were some explosions in Egypt. The Coptic Christians were targeted. In one church, over 40 were killed, over 100 injured, including women, little children. But in another location... A man with a suicide bomb was trying to get in. And the person at the front, I guess we would call them usher or the greeter, that person saw him, saw something was off, prevented him from going in so that the bomber triggered his vest and he and that gentleman were both killed. Now, this man... His family, his wife and two sons at least, were interviewed by uh, the Egyptian news. And I want to play that for you if it will work, all right. And I'll probably have to translate it. Now, okay, let's take this up a little and let's back it up to the beginning, if you will, Kelton. We good? All right. Believe me, she says, I am not angry. This is the wife and the mother. 
He is now gone, dead. And I ask the Lord to forgive them and let them try to think. Think, think. Believe me, if they can think, then they will all know that we didn't do anything to hurt them. Think again what you're doing. You're not in your right mind. God can forgive you and we also forgive you. You put my husband in a place that I couldn't have dreamed of. Believe me, I am proud of him. And I wish that I were there beside him. And I thank you. Now this is a Muslim anchor. Look at how long this pause is. Let's see if I can keep up with his words. Egyptian Christians are made of steel. Egyptian Christians for hundreds of years are having many atrocities and disasters. The Egyptian Christian deeply loves his country. I would quibble with that. The Egyptian Christian bears everything for the sake of his nation. I'd quibble with that. But listen to this next part. And oh, how great this amount of forgiveness you have. If your enemy knew how much forgiveness you have for them, he would not believe it. If it was my father, I could never say this. These people have so much forgiveness. It is their faith and religious conviction. These people are made from a different substance. May God have mercy on this man and he is a hero and a martyr and a greater example to all of us. These Christians are of a different substance. This man saved countless lives. As this gatekeeper of this church in Alexandria. But the impact he is having now. Through the forgiveness shown. By his wife. So much greater. I think if you ever wonder. How the Christian gospel. Took over. The Roman Empire. That's how. People. Transformed. A part of the new creation. Offering forgiveness in place of wrath. This is what shocks believers in all other faiths and makes them see the difference that Christ makes in our lives. This is the kind of impact we are called to have as a part of the new creation, the post-Easter people. So, I guess I will leave it with this. There is no way to say, well, I'm just going to come to Jesus a little bit. A part of it. I'll just take a little sip of the holy life. I just want a, a, a little presence of God and of the Spirit. Know when Christ comes into your life, 
He is there to make you a part of His new creation and give you new life.